What's up, you guys? E-Squared, the podcast here, and it's your boy, Jalen, again, coming at you with another episode. And for this episode, we will be basically um, critiquing uh, Donald Trump's State of the Union uh, for 2019. And so before we get into all of that, though, all I got to say is abolish ICE. Um, 21 Savage, yes, he's still detained. Um, I'm I'm sure everybody knows that you know now that uh, 21 Savage was detained by ICE because, um, unbeknownst to all of us, uh, he actually came up here, uh, came here on a visa when he was seven years old. Um, so, for some reason, for some fishy reason, ICE decided to just you know det- uh, detain him and send him back to the UK now. You know, probably because he's a black man, famous, and he's helping his community. But that's besides the point, and that's for another episode. Uh, we can go ahead and get into the State of the Union critique, because I don't want this to be a long episode at all. But one of the first things uh, Donald Trump did, you know, before I even talk about, you know, individual lies uh, that he, or individual fallacies that he, he that he said are made, uh Let's just say how he started. Let's just talk about how he started off the night, right? He started off the speech with this, um, this this sentiment of emotion, this sentiment of unity, like this very Michael Jackson, uh, we are the world type thing, and uh, we need to come together, and we 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 have to stop fighting along party lines type stuff. And then you know he 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 dresses up his thesis to be this whole you know sense of unity and why we need to come together, just to turn around and start spewing divisive fallacies just to prove his point. Like it was like, man, like <laughs> this guy is trash. Hold on. Yeah, this guy is completely trash. And one of the first things was immigration, what he always lies about, because he always has to constantly fear-monger his uh, base into uh, believing or supporting a, a reason for a concrete wall. Like, there's no reason for a concrete wall. Like I told you guys before um, in our uh, episode when we were talking about the government shutdown, um, illegal immigrants only make up 3.7% of the population of the United States. And out of that 3.7 people, which could, you know, correspond to 10.6 million people, out of that 10.6 million people, 300,000 people actually are criminals. 300,000 of those illegal immigrants are uh, criminals, which is a drop in a fucking dime. So when you when you when you observe just those statistics, like no, like you know, this is not the center of crime. There's not a national crisis at the border. Um, you know, the simple reason why you know Dems do not back a reason for a concrete wall is because it shows a symbol of xenophobia, and it and it also logically and practically is not physically conservative and will not put any real dent into crime. It would not, our our crime rates will not drastically drop from anything. And then I, I just love how uh, he uh, tried to say, you know, about, talk about El Paso and say, you know, soon as the, these border walls were implemented around, I think it was like uh, 2008, right? Or 2006, um, these border walls, uh, El Paso has been like the greatest, uh, has been, uh, has had a low violent crime rate. And like, again, 
that's totally BS because when you all when you look back to 1980, <laughs> El Paso has <laughs> constantly had a low violent crime rate, and so you know, no, uh, border walls did not fix that. <laughs> they did not uh, contribute to that. Um, like I said, uh, El Paso has you know has for a long time had a low violent violent crime rate and has a has been for a long time a community that that has a lot of influx of immigration. So, no, your your point was discredited by, you know, several news sources. And, like, again, it, it, it's, it, it, and, this, and this is why this stuff is so divisive, because if Trump can just convince somebody that, you know, that narrative is true, that the narrative of if we have more physical concrete walls or along our border will be safer and he could just use that point and and, and try to prove that point by using a divisive fallacy it, it, it's like no you're not trying to bring unity and so that's why i thought his whole thesis was bullshit and i thought when he got to this point of immigration was complete bullshit um if you guys want to hear my deep dive on immigration um i, I was planning on doing the episode uh to focus where we're going to really be focusing on uh like latin america and how like america has uh the americas uh north america has constantly fucked over um latin america but um if you want to hear just some of uh more statistics about immigration and why i believe it's total bullshit and why it's okay for us to have open borders uh just go back to um our government shutdown episode where i talk more in depth about that but the second thing he really lied about which you know of of course trump lies about a lot of things to pander to his audience which politicians do as well but was this late term abortion thing okay first of all um i guess we could start by giving some history uh just a brief history on why this was even brought up um yes uh new york passed new state legislation to make uh late term abortions accessible um for uh women uh just in case of any event of roe v uh roe versus wade being overturned uh so first we have to dissect this thing what is a late term abortion okay first of all late term abortion like altogether medical in medical practice that word or that term doesn't exist that late term abortion has been a term made uh and perverted by conservative uh conservative uh, demographic of voters to uh basically uh say that uh to ba- basically frame it to be like we're we're killing full born babies when you know that's not what it is at all first of all to understand the term late term not late term abortion but late term uh in medical practice usually refer for refers to forty one weeks after uh the gestation period meaning forty one weeks after you know the due date past the due date so if if that if that's like you know, past if it's like past the due date, then that's when it's considered late term. But that like in medical practice, you know, you know, really social uh, and political issues have defined the term late term abortion. But when people say late term abortion, uh, the adequate uh term would be uh abortion later in the pregnancy because uh. Again, late term means uh, 41 weeks after gestation, and that's past the due date. Um, 
But if we're going to examine this term, this word late term abortion as this uh, complete umbrella term, then like I said, we're, we're just going to say it adequately and just call it abortion later in pregnancy. And so abortion later in pregnancy is usually referred to like the second or the third trimester, which is uh, 21 to 24 weeks uh you know, after the initial uh point. So that's like in that's when you're into your third or trimester. It's like twenty one weeks or twenty twenty one weeks or twenty four weeks into your pregnancy. So when considering this, a lot of red state uh legislators they, they implemented laws to, you know, they always they're always trying to implement laws to shorten this um this uh period to where a woman is allowed to get her abortion. Um the thing about the reason why these late-term abortions are, you know, are, are allowed in places like New York or, or why liberal places push for things like this is because a lot of uh, problems in dealing with the pregnancy, not a lot, but there's there's been multiple cases in it, prof- like a profuse amount of cases when you had, you know, abnormal uh, anomalies with the fetus that you couldn't see before 21 weeks. I mean, a lot of stuff like, say, for instance, limb body wall complex, and that's when the organs of the baby start developing externally. You know, some of that stuff isn't seen before that 20 weeks, 21 week period or that 24 week period. So it's like, you know, there might be a reason for an abortion if it has these anomalies that we just picked on later up and later up in the pregnancy. And what, uh, people also don't understand is that you know even this term if we look using the term late term abortion the cdc uh, did a report and said that only 1.3 percent of women actually do have abortions later into their pregnancy and that's past the that's past the second or uh, third trimester um 1.3 percent so a very small percent of uh women who get uh who actually get an abortions get a late term abortion never gonna use that term uh and then like if you go to 24 weeks they said that on less than one percent of women have to get this abortion see so it's basically you know late term abortions do not happen all the time uh mostly uh from first person observation from uh guy uh OBGYNs, uh you'll see that a lot of times you know the reason why these late-term abortions have to happen, or these abortions later in pregnancy have to happen, is simply because of some anomaly, some um, abnormal anomaly that we that couldn't be seen before that 21-week period. But yeah, it, it, it's a- absolute bullcrap, and it makes no sense. Uh, it makes no sense to why we uh, even have to. Uh, go back and forth with these guys about it because at, at the end of the day um <clears throat> yeah i'm sorry but yeah basically um at, at the end of the day this whole late term abortion argument it, it's it, it it falls through the cracks because a, a lot of times due to like social social or political views that uh individuals might hold uh they they put these terms on uh on on certain things and when they put these terms or or label these things like say for instance the late term abortions they make it seem like we're just killing infants like whole babies and like are we supporting that and and nobody is you know but at the end of the day 
you know, if something is wrong with the child, uh, you know, we would always like for the the mother to survive, you know, it, again, and it all goes down to the whole argument. And that's why I hate the whole argument of pro-choice and pro-life, because people don't examine the pro-choice part in detail. Um, say, for instance, like a lot of uh, Republicans practice, it, well, Americans, period, practice the, the, the form of individualism. And uh, I, I just say uh, Republicans because they, they tend to practice it a little bit more when, you know, uh, refuting their ideals or their, their beliefs. And so a lot of things that you'll hear a lot of rhetoric say is like, you know, uh, well, you know, self-reliance, self-dependence, uh, and self-dependency. So it's like, you know, I, I have the, the second amendment because that's my right given to me, you know? Um, so, you know, nobody should, should infringe on that right. But it's like, you know, pro-choice is like the, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're talking about self-reliance, self-expression, self-dependence, then, you know, pro-choice has to be viewed in that same individual, uh, psychology, you know, you just can't say, okay, um, well, as an individual, um, I believe this way, I, I, so I practice this faith, but when it comes to you being an individual and you choosing, a, a choice. If I do not like your to- choice, us as a collective can condemn you for what you've done as an individual. Like, no, it, it makes no sense. Uh, if you're the same people who te- teach uh, self-reliance, self self-reliance and self-dependence, you also have to be the same people who promote self-expression. So w- when saying that pro-choice does not mean that you know, uh, the it, it has nothing to do with somebody who says they support abortion. There's a lot of people who are pro-choice, as for myself, who, you know, don't, you know, necessarily support the act of abortion, but do support the uh, choice of the woman to make, uh, whether if not she wants that baby. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you support the idea of abortion or like if you were ever in a situation that you would choose abortion as your way out um and and the cdc also has another statistic uh on their website but it says that uh, around 30 percent of of women throughout throughout the whole united states you know get abortions so that's a very small percentage you know compared to what is you know actually put on the largest scale as if you know women are just killing their babies every day which is completely false you know abortions are usually our last resort uh tools used you know whether it has to be you know financial resources or like i was saying abnormally uh abnormal anomalies in the pregnancy but on to that uh one thing that i did like from the state of the union was uh the the praise that Alice Johnson uh received um and with criminal justice reform that that was a really good bit cuz and the only reason why I say it's a really good bit because out of all out of Trump's whole presidency like yes I can only take one thing that I liked it was you know and it's basically the whole process to pass this criminal justice reform bill uh called the First Step Act uh if you guys haven't heard about it um but basically how this was passed, man, this was passed from a coalition of teams, um, a coalition, a bipartisan bill from multiple senators. And 
and, and even Jared Kushner, <laughs> Jared fucking Kushner, like, I do not like that guy, but even he was a part of the process, and so when he really started talking about criminal justice reform, this was really one of the respectable moments I really respected um I I respected when he praised our uh when when he praised the, the veterans um definitely the uh holocaust survivors you know th- that that was really it was a really cool moment and and I'm glad that they got that respect I just do not like the narrative that he tried to switch that into um, but again, you know, that's what politicians do. They'll take some, they'll take a non-controversial, uh, sentiment and they'll spin it to their own narrative to make everybody feel like they need to agree with what they believe in, which is absolutely false. But yeah, criminal justice reform, bro. Like this is the first step act is it, it, a pretty decent act. Um, I really like it. Uh, that was put together. It was basically, um, it's ba- the first part of the first step act is an acronym and it means uh formerly incarcerated re-enter society transform safety and basically this act is veered towards um making sure that uh not only uh non-violent cr- criminals are you know are who were convicted had terrible sentences they they get out more expeditiously but this also lowers some drug mandatory sentences from 15 years to 10 years and uh this first step act also includes revisions to make it easier for an inmate once they leave jail to re-enter society now because a lot of things one of the main thing about you know the cycle of recidivism is that you know the criminal has no life outside of the prison system. He's been incarcerated. He's been stripped of almost everything that he once had or he or she once had. And they are left unable to get jobs. They are left uh, unable to to actually uh, rehabilitate themselves because in incarceration, there's no form of rehabilitation going on. So let's say, for instance, you're a non-father drug offender who went to prison. Like, you know, you have no real way to, you know, fix yourself up from being incarcerated all these years. So this is what this act is focused on. Uh, Some of the provision in this act uh, uh, includes the elderly uh, release provision of the Second Chance Act. Um, And it basically says that, you know, uh, elder people, uh, people who, uh, of of course, nonviolent offenders uh, who are serving in prison, uh, long prison sentences for absolutely no reason, they'll finally get a chance to be released. And that's why you'll see, you know, for this act, a lot of elderly elderly inmates will uh, start getting uh, clemency first. But uh that's one of the provisions uh one of the other provisions is that uh now inmates uh have the option nonviolent again nonviolent drug offenders uh have the option to be placed 500 miles uh closer to their primary residence so let's say if they were locked up and they were uh sent to like a state facility um if they wanted to live closer to they wanted to be closer to their primary re- res- residence uh then they could and 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 why w- would this be a big deal well it's easy on multiple levels when somebody is closer to home uh uh of course you know their resources uh like let's say for instance um visiting hours would be easier for the family for that person if that person still has 
franchise family uh, immediate family will be easier for them to visit them and it also be easier for that criminal uh, or, or that person who is convicted of a crime once they're out of prison it'll be a way easier process for them to be adjusted to their life because again they weren't a whole 800 miles away from it uh, so yeah the first step act has some pretty cool things it even has um uh, uh the thing about the bureau of prisons and to where like they're gonna start um lifting and start banning uh restraints on pregnant women in prisons so that's awesome that's dope um the, the only this two main things about like this whole bill that you know would makes it a decent bill and not a great bill and it's not really a, a huge dub for criminal justice but it, it's a it's a path forward and that's why i even like the the uh the phrase or the name the first step back because even though it was bipartisan and even it, though it was sponsored by doug collins a, a republican representative you know a lot of people in the house and in, in the senate you know, our elected officials know that this is not, you know, this is not even putting a dent into the real problem, but it's a great sentiment for it. And so my only thing about it is that, you know, this bill should have expanded and included reforms to shorten uh, sentences for nonviolent criminals and like nonviolent drug offenders. And again, like they didn't do that. You know, it, it didn't focus on, you know, uh, stronger programs to where like criminals who are nonviolent and, and criminals who do not convict crimes, they are granted clemency. It's it's just not straight up clemency, and that's what I wish it would be. I wish it would have just been been straight up clemency, and then you know there's also more reforms to expand those mandatory sentences that I was talking about earlier to like five years instead of ten years or two years instead of five years because there's really no reason at all for a nonviolent drug offender to rot in prison you know and rotten means if they have to stay there for 10 years 15 years like you know it, it, it you got to understand that like being in prison institutionalizes someone so if we're not adequately punishing people and if we're just sticking people in there because we don't have a way to rehabilitate them or we don't know what to do with them then we can accidentally mess up a whole life you know just by you know sending a non-violent drug offender who is selling weed and sending him to prison for just five years we're messing up that person's life and so again uh, it, uh the first step act was a real cool step forward um but i wanted Hopefully, I can do a future episode uh, with my girl Jolene to really talk about the First Step Act and one of my main critiques from it. Because, like I said, I'll, they they do need uh, expansions and reform to uh, re reforming sentences for nonviolent drug offenders. But mainly, if we're gonna talk about the First Step Act, we have if we're gonna talk about any type of criminal justice reform, we have to understand that privatized prison institutions have killed. Uh, have killed the African-American demographic profusely. So, you know, and that's what the bill doesn't cover. It doesn't cover any, it doesn't have any regulations for privatized institutions. And so that's what we should focus on, you know, if we ever have a second step act <laughs> or a third step act. Um, but again, cool sen sentiments uh, for a step forward just needs to be expanded on, but it's a cool sentiment. And that, I, I really did respect that part. I really did. But uh, one of my main things, if we're just going to get down to this, and like I said, this is going to be a very short episode because 
uh, I, I, <laughs> most of this stuff we talked about before, uh, in de- in depth in past episodes, but I just wanted to give kind of a response to it. But man, this last thing had Bernie and uh, AOC like just in their seats, like scoring like mad, but. When Trump finally decided to wrap things up and, 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 and wrap it up on a note to attack socialism, and by attacking socialism, he attacked the problem in Venezuela and, you know, and just basically said, this is why socialism never works. Socialism is a bad thing to where, like, uh, you know, it's a fascist thing to where, like, it, it, is just, it just leads to authoritative rule. And so, of course, you've seen people like Bernie mad, mad bro and people like AOC she didn't even budge a smile the whole time and then you know you know Pelosi got her little condescending clap but you know in me you know I was furious you know when I heard it at first but then I just started thinking I started thinking like wow so that means you know socialists are actually starting to get factions inside of Congress you know this just means that socialism is a real threat to his movement you know, the fact that he said anything about that, the fact that he even, you know, talked about socialism instead of just talking about the problem of Venezuela. No, he used this as the point to talk about Venezuela, to talk about socialism, to talk about why this is bad, because he sees it as a threat. Um, Just a few statistics, actually. Uh, well, Gallup poll recently did um a, a survey to Democratic respondents and in America, 57% of Democratic respondents say that they view socialism as a positive philosophy. And 53% of uh, Democratic uh, respondents said they believe in ca- capitalism as a, uh, as a um, positive um, way of uh, governing our positive philosophy. And, and now these numbers weren't pit against each other. These numbers were, these were separate questions asked to Democratic respondents. And 57% of them said they appreciated socialism and they, and they understand the concept of being uh, something uh, uh, that represents equality. Um, while 53% say they vow capitalism good. So there's a lot of Democrats who don't only appreciate capitalism, but are who, who are starting to appreciate this idea of socialism. And again, socialism cannot be used and, and it will cannot be proved or disproven by one situation or by situations to where like people held the title of a socialist you know, in order to get gained. Hitler was not a socialist. He was not a nationalist socialist. Like, if you understand, like, the theory of, like, Karl Marx, you'll understand who were real socialists and who were just fascists who played on that game. You'll understand the difference between socialism and state capitalism. You'll understand the difference between a Marxist sociology and a pan-native sociology sociology that, that just panders to get somebody elected. You'll understand the difference between these things if you actually read and looked up real theory. And again, that's that that's on people like me, too. And again, we're... I, well, I'm working on the episode to really, you know, I'm getting to people so we can start talking about these philosophies, like, you know, Marxist philosophies and even anarchist philosophies. And, you know, so people can start getting on here and explain to you what the whole premise of it is. But, you know, everybody knows what socialism means in America. You know, you know, at least Democratic respondents do. Socialism in America means 
it doesn't mean an authoritative rule. It means free health care. Socialism in America means social welfare programs aimed to helping the poor and the working class. You know, social uh, socialism in America means a total redistribution of wealth to where, like, the people at top are not holding the wealth. The Well, where the, the top people in the United States, the rich elites, are not holding 40% of the wealth. People like Bloomberg are not holding hoarding 8% of the wealth alone. Like, we don't have to worry about this thing in the social society. And that's what people and Democratic respondents around America are feeling. You know, the the fact that, you know, Donald Trump even tried to compare the two, and, 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 and the fact that, you know, really the whole conservative uh, fan base of the conservative uh, thought pattern is to, you know, is to save Venezuela. Uh, the reason why Venezuela is failing is because of socialism. Socialism, but they never bring up the authoritative rule that was before Hugo Chavez. They never believe. They never bring up you know company. Uh, you know parties like the Social Christian Party and uh, American uh, American action and uh, the Democratic action. My bad. And they never bring up these these like AD and Compi, they never bring up these factions that were used to basically that 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 were basically implemented to rule over the people and just nationalize the oil and hoard all the money for their own pockets. They don't understand, you know, why people like Hugo Chavez was elected. They they don't understand the packs that were put in place uh to try to dismantle at any at every any and every turn the working class and the poor so they never bring this stuff up and they never understand that you know people like hugo chavez when he was uh president had a 60 percent of uh 60 percent of 60 percent of the votes in every single election that he ran and yes he ran all legitimate uh, races so it's like people don't understand that the people who support people like Maduro and are are working class people are poor people. So when the United States says that we there's you know we're not taking military uh military options off the table, um we we might send in military support. They gotta understand that they're supporting the coup. Like no no matter we no matter who's on the right wrong or right side you know it's not my country so I can't decide but you know you cannot so and and that's the same thing America a so so isolation and and again we have the wall because we want to start practicing more of isolation so but again again how can we be an isolation a country who practice isolation when we still imperialize other countries when we still want countries to conform to our ideals. Are we guised as countries wanting to conform to our, our, our ideals just to steal their oil reserves and just to steal their uh, just to profitize on a broken Venezuela? And that's all America is going to be doing. Like, think about it like this. If during the Civil War... The South, the North and the South, they fought. Everybody know they fought. And, they, and everybody know why the South fought. The South fought over slavery because that was their main production line. Uh, well, the most inexpensive production line uh, in order to, you know, produce things like our, our, our farm and harvest things like cotton and pick cotton. And so 
even though in the South cotton was huge, in the North South, uh, the the cotton was even huger because these textile factories, you know, mostly prof profitized off of cotton that was sold from the South. But the South did not only sell the North cotton, the South also sold and exported a lot of cotton toward to European countries, like, um, say for instance, like Great Britain, France, and so. If Great Britain and France entered the Civil War because they wanted to capitalize off of uh, the the cotton reserves and how much uh, the cotton production and they wanted to uh, basically help the South beat the North so they can have less regulations and more access to that cotton, they could have easily done that. But again that would be imperializing and most importantly dismantling a, a, a dismantling a civilization and there will be another country supporting a coup a coup d'etat like this that that's all america is doing you know uh, uh, america is not you know alleviating anybody from an oppressor they're not doing that they're just making the situation worse and they're guising it as helping them but at the end of the day they're they're just going to profitize off of a broken venezuela and and again most european countries are doing that as well and again that it's it's sad the fact that we can't have diplomatic talks to solve this out but venezuela has been broken for a long time and they've they've been on a path to fixing it but the the elite in Venezuela have always had this this bite on 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 oil and and so it was it's always been hard because even when people like Hugo Chavez implemented social welfare pro uh, programs as soon as he implemented these social welfare programs the 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 upper class the upper middle class and and the elites the CEOs they pulled away from him and said no man you doing too much now but again these people were elected by the working were by working class and poor citizens. So don't think that these people are getting chosen by elites. Uh, these people are you know running uh, are getting chosen by corruption. Like no, these people are getting chosen by working class people. And like you literally have a country that's divided in ideals. And how do we solve that with diplomacy? You know, not by you know military imperializing or military industrializing uh their oil uh their oil reserves so it's like i i i don't understand you know why we when we talk about venezuela we just talk about the leader oh he promotes socialism so socialism is bad no like for this for the life of me i don't understand why conservatives don't believe in infinite regress when it comes to anything like they just point out a problem and they never understand why we might have a problem like when they'll say like a place like Guatemala is disenfranchised and is uh terrible and they have a high poverty high crime rate well that's because of us if we if we believed in infinite regress we would understand how the things like Eisenhower's domino effect affected Latin American countries and we would understand that most of the infighting was caused by us. But again, Republicans don't believe in infinite regress. Basically, the ideology that everything is caused by something. You know, you never have, you know, you, you're never, you're never going to have a sole causer or something. You know what I'm saying? It's always, you can always trace it back to something. But uh, conservatives don't know how to do that. So they just say, oh, no, this is here because 
uh, socialism, and socialism is bad. Hitler was a socialist. Like, no, bro. <laughs> like, shut up, shut up. You, you, you know, the most simplest thing is to take thing, take something as its label instead of like, no, we can't take things for face value. We have to actually read and research and look into things, look into the depth, immerse ourselves with the topic, and then we can comment on it. A lot of Republicans be sounding stupid when they say that, but. Yeah, they, at, at the end of the day, though, you can have your opinions on Venezuela, you can have your pip, uh, opinions on the president, but at the end of the day, socialism is forming into something beautiful in America. Um, we're starting to have factional socialists in our chambers, in our Congress. Uh, we're, we're starting to really see this representation of an ideology to where like everybody is free. And there's a lot of socialists or people, democratic socialists, or people who claim to be democratic socialists who just support a heavy welfare capitalism. You know, they, they're not really trying to change this whole thing or they don't believe in the idea of a revolution to just change everything uh, instantly into socialism. No, they don't. They believe in reformation and expansion. They believe on expanding with social welfare programs uh, such as Medicare for All such as free college, such as free tuition, like we in, in, in making this a better society for all of us to live in. Because what people got to understand is that we're just asking for what our parents, like not even our parents, but we're just asking for what the, the, the franchise demographics of the 60s had, you know, free college, you know, you know, like inexpensive college, uh, inexpensive health care, like, you know, we're just asking for that same thing. So it's like, you know, when we ask for that same thing that people had in like the 60s or the 50s, you know, it's like we're being, we're, we're, we're not understanding the scarcity of how that could, you know, uh, fracture our economic, uh, our economy, our economic development. And it's just like, you know, the biggest fault of capitalism is that we focus more on the growth of businesses and the revenue made from it than the, than the actual working class and poor citizens of the United States. And so for me, for if you always wanted to decide between which philosophy, like, you know, I, even though I have my own views and, and, I, and I research my own views to become uh, what I am today or to have the platform I have today, I do encourage free thinking of the true consciousness, a, a, a good faith thinking to where like, you know, a lot of people, as long as you want progress, you can free think all you want true progress, the, the progress that understands the practice of free love, the practice of self-expression, you know. So, again, a lot of, and, that, and I'm just saying that to bring home the point that a lot of people are people who, a lot of Americans who consider themselves socialists are leftists, are, you know, they're, they're not, you know, <laughs> they're not Stalins, they're not Joseph Stalins, they're not, you know, Leninists, they're not, you know, Gorbachev's. They're not people like like I don't know why people like they're not walking USR USSRs like you know they're not walking Soviets just walking everywhere like it, it it's it, it's like it's a different form of socialism that's developing in America, uh, uh, socialism that's heavy that 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 leans more to social welfare programs that leans more to 
you know, making sure that disenfranchised demographics in our communities, whether that's black people, whether that's Asian people, whether that's um, Mexican-American immigrants, whether that's, you know, intersections like the LGBTQ community, lesbian people, gay people, straight people, like, it's all about having a, a... a lot of Dems, definitely young Dems, they see socialism as the key to having an equal society. Not a utopia, but something that leans closer to a utopia than the dystopia that we're headed to right now. And I know that might sound kind of vague and that that might sound kind of, uh, you know, people just dreaming about, like, I, I call it over-vague uh, optim- uh, uh uh, I get over vague positivity basically, and over vague positivity being this thing of you know people thinking that everything's rainbow and unicorns without understanding real practical uh, issues. If we would have things like, say, for uh, instance, Medicare for all, like yes, Medicare for all will cost a lot, but five billion for a wall isn't a lot. You know, that will really take $7 billion to build? That's not a lot to you? Uh, like, that's not a lot to you to build a composite wall that's just going to stay there and not do anything to uh, drop the crime rates of the United States? Yes, Medicare for all might be expensive. But also, what, what, what's more taxing and, and, and what's going to actually hinder us more and actually kill us off more is, you know, us using fossil fuels and not even looking towards healthier initiatives. Us using fossil fuels and in 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 prematuring our deaths like it's like I don't under what what I never understand about people who say Medicare for all is expensive. It's just basically we could put our funds into military military industrialized projects, you know, to create nanotechnologies and chemical and uh, nanotechnologies and instruments of war, and we can put all our money into this. But healthcare for everyone is expensive. It's like we we turn we talk about like like how to be fiscally conservative when it when it when we want to. Basically, we talk about practicality when we want to. You know, we talk about you know being fiscally conservative until it's time to build a wall, and then we we're willing to put seven billion dollars into it. You know, you know people talk about you know fiscal conser- uh, responsibility. You know. All the time, and, and and definitely they 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 use it to to retort a lot of left leaning economic policies. But today I'm here to say like that's bullshit. Like, dude, you know you're not physically conservative. You are I, you're I, you are idealists who do not believe in progress, and you do not believe in progress because you're afraid of change. You're you're afraid of things changing around you. You're afraid of this looking like a different world than where you grew up with, grew up in. And I'm telling you, bro, it's time out for that shit. Like, just time out for that shit. You need to just suck it up and and, and embrace what's about to happen because the progress will happen. You know, it, it's not you know happening as quick as I want it to, and it's not gonna take as long as you expect it to. But understand that it will happen, so you can't run away from it. 
even if government has to regulate things like the Green New Deal. And I will say that, you know, I read the Green New Deal, uh, or the New Green Deal, and it's like, it, 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 it's a very vague piece of bill that, that, that has great sentiments, though, that has great sentiments that, you know, the Green Deal is basically uh, supposed to put us into a period to where, like, over time, we're uh, increasing our um, renewable uh, energy uh, proficiency by 10. So it's like first, we're, 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 the first stage is, I guess, to get it to 20%, and then 30%, then 40%, then 50 So it's an incremental process that's going to take about a decade to really uh, accomplish. So it's... It, 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 the it, in in the deal they're working with the deal to have a a, a great transition for people who even, who work in these refineries to uh, start working on renewal uh, forms of re- renewable energy instead of non renewable energy, because um, renewable energy is great but there's just a lot of things that's prohibiting us to get the maximum use out of it. Uh well I mean if you understand the law of thermodynamics though you can't really get a maximum use out of any form of energy but I mean that that's a whole another thing but you know that's why we we need the government to regulate these policies though because privatized institutions or privatized companies are only going to focus on what makes them the most money up front so oil makes the most money up front uh, that's why, you know, instead of Donald Trump talk about climate change throughout this whole part, throughout this whole state of the union, he did not talk about it not once. But he did talk about Venezuela because best believe they are going to support the coup and best believe that they're going to get their share of oil <laughs> because of it. Uh, but yeah, um, basically, the the shit is bullshit, bro. Absolute bullshit that uh that the, the, he even called out Venezuela. I don't know why I got kind of off topic, but um the fact that he even uh called out Venezuela is, is completely bullcrap because we're just about to imperialize their country and leave them broken and you know halt their progress even the more. Uh but uh yeah, uh before we go, uh I I wanted to talk about this thing, uh this uh this number that's floating around um recently uh as uh as really recently as yesterday I'm recording this today Tuesday um recently as yesterday night uh there's been uh talks of a tentative deal uh to avoid government shutdown from happening uh that they uh basically finally got funding for a physical barrier um and that that number is around like one point three seventy five billion I think. And yeah, one point three seventy five billion and that number is supposed to support a physical barrier but not a concrete wall. And a physical barrier I mean in like a fence probably uh, or something. Again, I'm I'm not gonna lie, if if that's the true deal about it, to me it's compromising and I don't necessarily agree with just because I believe in the idea of open borders, definitely if there's open capital. Uh but 
you know, it's not a concrete wall, and 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 Dems have said that they're not gonna compromise specifically on a concrete wall. But if so, so if it's physical barriers, I I see that happening. Uh, but again, I mean, physical barriers were in the twenty two thousand eighteen fiscal uh, year bill. So it's like even though Republicans are gonna try to play this off as a dub, if the deal does strike, it it's like, bruh. The deal isn't it, like it's not a deal if it's the same deal that we had last year. If the same if it's the same spending bill we had last year, but again, people don't understand infinite regress, so they're just gonna look at the situation like, oh, we dub, we finally got building for our wall. Like, no, there's not gonna be a concrete wall built around the United States if Dems have anything to do about it, and if you know, Dem voters most importantly are really holding our constituents accountable for the actions that they take there's not going to be a concrete wall built around but so far they do have $1.375 billion for a wall in a tentative talk this could all go down hill because I think this 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 negotiation didn't even go through the House of the Senate this was just throughout the negotiation team and the negotiation uh senators uh, uh negotiating team had basically some representatives uh two house representatives and uh two senators i believe um uh, actually i got the list right here um yeah patrick lee uh, uh the guy uh, who's in vermont with bernie sanders he was part of the negotiation team patrick lee uh richard selby uh, uh, a republican um from uh Alabama, uh, Nita Lowey, a Democrat from New York, and Kay Granger, a Republican from Texas. So, uh, yeah, it's just four people in this negotiation. So it could get when it get to the it it could just totally fall to pieces by the time it gets to any chamber of commerce. Uh, I said commerce, any uh branch of Congress. Uh, but I mean. Even if it passed, so what, bro? But, like, I, again, it's not something I, I want to get past. It's something that I believe in. But, hey, I guess, you know, compromise, I guess. Whatever. But, yeah, uh, this is all I really have for this today episode. I'm sorry this was uh, kind of a boring episode. Again, this was just kind of uh, my response to the State of the Union. Or what I took from it, uh, the, the good the good things and the bad, well, the good thing and all the plethora of bad things from him. But again, uh, we want to hear your voice, how you feel about uh, politics so far. Um, what do you feel about, you know, the candidates that have been not, uh, that have been announcing? Well, matter of fact, that's going to be my uh, question. Uh, my question for this episode to you guys is like, what do you guys feel, um, about the candidates that have uh came out with their nomination uh and have announced that they're running for presidential uh for the presidential term of 2020 um ever since we dropped our last episode uh, I think it was like if not Trump then who where we basically discussed it but yeah you guys just tell me what you think about Camilla Harris I've been getting a lot of controversial uh dialogue from uh from her uh from her fan base so uh, what do you think about Camilla Harris? What do you think about uh, Beto O'Rourke? Um, he had that uh, showdown with Trump last night, which was really cool. 
uh, in El Paso. They like Donald Trump had a rally in El Paso and Beto had a, a rally in El Paso. And these things were just like down the streets from each other. So that showdown was nice. So I I know that's gonna prop them up in the polls. Are 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 do you guys are you guys just sticking with people like Sanders, you know? Um, but um, and what do you think about guys like uh, people like Gillibrand, you know, Christine Gillibrand? Uh, just let me know, like, uh, what's your opinion on the Democratic playing field right now? People like Julio and Castro, just tell me how you feel and. Again, if you have any questions, suggestions for an episode, if you want to even be on a future episode, hit us up at Eat to the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes, that's just E to the Podcast at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and thank you guys so much for this episode. And uh, we are out.